0: Happy holidays. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, and I'm really happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. You guys now I'd like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel. And though we have grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I wanna say thank you to my guests on the November 18th, 2022 show, men mastermind coach and podcast host, Christopher Burns. You can connect with Christopher on LinkedIn and at his website, adaptingleaders.com. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the November 18th show at the somewhere in the middle podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the genius is common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is an essential message, and I really encourage you to share it with the youth, but it's not just for the kids. We all need to be reminded sometimes that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Geniuses Common movement at www.geniusescommon.com. Now, this month's guest is really dynamic. He's really doing what I think is great work because he helps leaders advance in their careers partly through conflict resolution. Jerry Fu is a conflict resolution coach who helps Asian American leaders advance their careers and life journeys. Having taken on several pharmacy leadership roles, Jerry started coaching in 2017 to help other Asian American professionals deal with the conflict they encounter at work, with their culture and within themselves. Prior to starting his coaching business, Jerry served as a pharmacist and began facilitating leadership workshops in 2012. Today, Jerry offers a range of coaching services, which include individual coaching, group workshops, and keynote
1: presentations.
0: So I'd like to welcome Jerry Food to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Barrard. Jerry, thank you for being on the show.
1: Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me, Michelle.
0: I'm really excited because, you know, I was reading all about what you do, and I'm really interested in your angle on things. But before we get into that, I want to know more about you. And I start my interviews with two questions. So if you're ready, I'll ask those two questions. Fire away. All right. Jerry Fu, who are you? And how did you become who you are today?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So much to unpack of the... Some of the many uh, hats that I wear include um, pharmacist, uh, conflict resolution coach, salsa dancer, musician, cook, amateur stand-up comedian, amateur photographer, <laughs> um, just uh, and uh, foodie is another one I guess. Just trying all sorts of fun cuisines. Uh, those are those are. Uh, parts of the palette and the puzzle that uh, make me uh, who I am.
0: And how did you get to be this eclectic person? Because it's not often that you find uh, pharmacist, conflict resolution specialist, mm-hmm. salsa dancer.
1: Yeah, that always gets a hook.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting combination right there. Then you add in foodie, mm-hmm. uh, amateur, uh, comedian. I. Mm-hmm. How did you become all of this?
1: Yeah, uh, man. 30 minutes might not be enough. You might have to bring me on for a part two and three, Michelle, we can make it a trilogy (laughs) or something. Um, Yeah. So uh, I guess let me unpack the career side of things just because that, uh, that starts, it's easy to put those two together. So uh, initially I went into college wanting to be a pre-med. I liked the idea of being a doctor. And then I found out how much work it actually involved to become a doctor. And uh, what I tell people Is that unless you have a clear why, much like a lot of leadership literature today, um, if you don't know exactly what you want to do with your degree as a doctor, you're probably not going to make it Um, just because I have a friend who's a pediatrician and he has a heart for kids and he's great with kids and you know he's triple board psych now has a clear purpose has a very uh, uh, vibrant thriving practice and you know it's great to see that in motion me on the other hand I got to see in organic chemistry because my discipline and focus were not there. And so we quickly had to pivot and I said, well, you know, I don't want to risk rejection from med school, but let me pick something else in healthcare. Uh, Cause I still like the knowledge base. I still like the, the fact that it was a service-based profession. So let me figure out what else I can do in healthcare. Uh, pharmacy came to mind. And so um, decided to pursue that path. And um, at the behest of my risk averse mother, Uh, you know, took a job with a chain pharmacy. um, When I graduated from school, I finished pharmacy school in Memphis, uh, moved back to Knoxville where my family is. And, um, you know, my mom had her life planned for me, marry this girl, take this job, uh, you know, and bank away money aggressively and just pray that, you know, one day you'll finally be able to have a couple years where you have enough money to do what you finally want to do. And, um, after five years of working in chain pharmacy and don't get me wrong, there was a point where I was very comfortable with the job just because I had, um, flexible scheduling and, you know, I, I knew I was doing well enough to keep my boss happy. So as long as you're ahead of the curve, you know, you're, you're okay. Uh, and got complacent a little bit, but then after five years, after I had a really bad, uh, customer service incident, I realized I, you know, I couldn't afford to stay here any longer or with that company. And so I wanted to teach but, uh, didn't have the requisite degrees or, you know, um, residency or anything like that, because I was not actively designing my career the way that I, I would have wanted to. But, um, a friend of mine who worked for a, con- a pharmacy consulting company here in Houston, uh, said, Hey, I know you want to teach, but, uh, since you don't have like the advanced degrees, uh, but you can teach through us if, if you're interested in my position, because I got promoted. I said, absolutely. Let me do this. And, um, Next thing I know, I'm, I'm walking away from full-time job with benefits to a part-time job where I had to earn my way um, you know, up. And initially I was excited at the chance because I said, well, this might be the last company I ever worked for because I don't want to go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. 11 months later, I got fired, Michelle. And uh, you know, it was my fault. I tell people I like the idea of being instructed more than doing the hard work of even starting plus if you don't get along with your boss it doesn't matter how good you are <laughs> like they're gonna it's it's writing on the wall right and at the time i couldn't appreciate it it was painful and I, you know I, I was afraid of the shame and everyone's asking questions and um honestly i can say at this point it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it was the wake-up call i needed uh in order to really improve and recognize hey you know what your your safety net is gone like you have got to get better uh, you've got to pay your bills rent don't stop just because you got a bad day right mm-hmm. and so that's when the roller coaster got really topsy-turvy i ended up at a um an independent pharmacy house of cards where uh four of my paychecks bounced while i was filling for crooked doctors that was uh yeah i think a lot of attention They're <laughs> so like wait, what? <laughs> like, how'd you end up there uh, you know slick recruiter you know shady boss you know uh, you know bad combination naive kid right and um I had a very misguided view of grace because I said, well, you know, even though he's not holding up his end of the bargain, I still need to hold up mine. And everyone else is around me. is like, Jerry, your license is in danger and he's not paying you. You need to leave. Right. And so, um, eventually after nine months of that, yeah, finally got a chance with another company that my friends, um, got me on board with, but they said, Hey, we like you, but we can't pay you more than eight hours a week. And I said, okay. Um, what do I do? And they said, well, you can get more hours at our Austin store if you're willing to drive out there, which is about two and a half hours away from Houston. So, um, it's not the worst place to end up, but, uh, it's not home either. And I had no idea what my life was going to look like at this point. And so I go out there and I just said, okay, God, you know, let me just be faithful with what you've given me. Let me just go ahead and work my way up. And, uh, not an interesting opportunity came up that summer. This is 2012 now. And, um, what happened was that uh, some friends of mine who run a pharmacy leadership nonprofit say, hey, um, we need a facilitator for a national meeting. We know you've been facilitating other topics on the fraternity side, but we need one for our, our national leadership meeting. Would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. And the interesting thing, Michelle, is that for the longest time, I hated leadership or I, I just didn't, I hated the fact that I felt bad at it. Like I didn't know how to get better at it and I didn't think I'll ever be good at it. And just this very fixed mindset of, oh, it's not worth the headache, especially in chain pharmacy. It's just a little money for a lot of headaches. And you're just like, okay, this isn't healthy. I don't, I don't want to deal with it. Uh, but seeing leadership modeled for me and then having to teach the material as well, I'm sure, as you know, right, that's the best way to really learn something is to teach it to somebody else. And so that unlocked a new possibility for me. And I said, well, you know, what if I could be a good leader? What would that look like? What kind of work would that involve? And So later that fall, I came back, you know, all invigorated and said, okay, I'm ready. And, um, I had the chance to either stay part-time in Austin, which really was a great work team, uh, or take a full-time manager position that opened up in Houston. And I said, I can't stay safe. I'm ready to come home. I need to take on this challenge. So I'm going to take on this manager position. And I was so happy to come home, Michelle. I won't deny that. But over the next year, uh, I got written up actually by that company because I was not managing my technicians well Cause I was struggling with conflict when they were behaving badly, I was not confronting them. And, um, then they said, well, you know, there's a problem, but you also have your part to fix in this and we're going to have to, you know, kind of hold you to it. And so managed to work myself out of that, you know, managed to clean house, you know, showed that I was, you know, worth my salt and investment. Uh, but then the company had their funding pulled. So I said, uh Oh, um, you know, that the owners decided it's no longer viable. You know that's beyond my control. Uh, but the the best thing happened was when I just got a random life raft, and um, the next company. The only reason they gave an interview was that I had inter- uh, leadership experience on my resume now, and I said, "Wow, that was a really fortunate decision on my part that I now have you know uh, things that will get uh, other companies attention." Um, that company also folded after 11 months, just because again, it's just really hard for smaller pharmacies to compete against big chains to really stay viable. And so what I tell people on one hand leadership saved my career um, because it gave me more uh, icebergs to hop to, if you could say, but the problem is there's still icebergs, right? They're just like, they're going to melt after like one or two years. And so uh, four years ago, when my previous employer went under um, I've still, am employed full-time as a pharmacist by God's grace. We've been open, you know, four years and I'm You know, I see my owners and see how hard they work just to try to survive. But, um, you know, I said, I asked myself, well, you know, I'm tired of chasing scripts. I'm tired of fighting insurance companies that tell me how much I'm worth um, or not worth. And uh, but I love teaching these leadership workshops. And I know what kind of um, training and developmental program I wish I had had when I was trying to become a better leader. So what if I made a career out of, you know, turning around and developing people the way I, I wish I had been developed? And so, um, thought about coaching, talked to people about coaching, but I, you know, still scared to fail and step out. And I had no idea how to open a business, build a business, run a business. And I still don't like, it's terrifying, (laughs) but in the middle of COVID, uh, you know, you realize I can't put this off any longer. Let me, let me follow the LLC. Let me get the website up. Let me open the bank account. Okay. And now. It's yeah, it's terrifying, but at the same time, you know, what's the alternative? To go back to a, you know, pharmacy career that, you know, I have to beg for work now cuz the market's so saturated? No, let me let me fight for a career that I'd actually be excited to to go on and not just what's available to me, but to create something that's really going to be meaningful. So, that's the first part of that.
0: Well, you said some things that just really struck me, and the thing you said over and over again was safety. Mm-hmm. You you want it to be safe. You 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 struggled with that concept of safety. Mm -hmm. And then each time you were either forced to take a leap or you finally decided to take a leap on your own. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about
1: that. Yeah, Uh, so much great literature lately about learning to shift your life from being reactive to proactive, I think, Uh, because the way I, I think my parents kind of approached their lives, and this is just from their own you know, culture and the way they grew up, but to see things now and to recognize that what they believe and what their definition of success is, even if you can appreciate the context at the time, uh, may or may not still be relevant to you know it it's silly to think that things 20 years from now would still work now and silly to think that things now would work 20 years from now but people still want to default to that comfort level right and they're just trying to say oh i'm just trying to mind my business you know i'm just trying to make a little money i'm just trying to not get too hurt and then you have to ask yourself well what's the trajectory of that lifestyle right And then instead, when you have a lifestyle design mentality, right, so Bill Burnett and Dave Evans wrote a great book called Designing Your Life, Designing Your Work Life, where people realize, hey, you know what, maybe I actually have a a say in, in the trajectory of where my life is going. What if I actually, you know, found work that would actually be meaningful to me? What if I actually realized I was in control of how I use my time and then how I, you know, decide things and, you know, my the way I actually make decisions. What if I actually have a say in in charting my own course? And now, right, now you're going from reactive to proactive because you say, now today, everything I do today, I choose to do. Oh, that's pretty powerful, right? I choose to watch Netflix for the next (laughs) two hours. I chose that as opposed to, oh, Netflix knows how to, you know, play on my weak points and do all these things right are you so helpless right well no it's like okay so what are you going to do right are you going to like continue to allow yourself to indulge in this or are you actually going to fight for what's truly meaningful and trust that this company uh, doesn't care whether or not you actually succeed at the lifestyle you want to attain
0: this is really an interesting concept you mentioned designing your life and i think a lot of people don't realize much control they do have Particularly if they're in a difficult place, like it, you've lost your job because the industry is just what the industry is, right? The pharmacy shuts down, they lose their funding. And then you have to figure out well, how am I going to make this work? And a lot of people would feel helpless. What kept you kind of this? What helped you to say, okay, what's my next step? What helped you get to that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing is, hey, I got to be an adult and pay my bills, right? I don't want to get evicted. I want to be able to eat and not just eat like cheap ramen. Like I need to eat something, you know, you know, somewhat nutritious, right? Um, so that's one good thing is recognizing, hey, there's a baseline I need to meet at minimum. Uh but with that said, that only goes so far, right? Because it's one thing to just be like, okay, well, hey, like, I don't like this job, but at least I, I have enough to, to go by. And, you know, there's gratitude for that. And at the same time, you know, what will give you the energy and excitement to really go after what you really want and something that could really be great for you, right? Um, it's like you said, uh, my, my uh, definition of stability was very, very short-sighted. Um, because it would always be the next thing, right? Growing up, it's like, oh, middle school to high school. All right, I got it. I got something else coming up that I'm looking forward to. High school to college, yeah, this is gonna, this is the next step. College to pharmacy school, all right, yeah. You know, I, I'm set for the next couple of years. Pharmacy school to job, hey, it's nice to have a job for right now. And then after the next four years of that, you're just like, oh, well, I thought I was gonna have another transition, but people are expecting me to work at this job for like the next 10, 20 years. That, that doesn't sound fun. okay. but and people forget that, hey, like the fact that people expect moments to happen to them as opposed to um, going after you know to having taking some initiative, uh, there's a great book called The Power of Moments um, by Chip and Dan Heath at this then they say hey you know you have a lot of first moments and breakthrough moments early on in your life but then after like your mid-20s 30s unless you get married and have kids and then experience vicariously the first of your children right there's not a lot of highlights unless you choose to hey i'm going to take a big trip to rome this year because i want to explore the city for three weeks right or hey i'm going to uh take a six month sabbatical and i'm just going to travel the world and backpack and hostels and things like that and people think, oh, I'll just do that later. You know what? You know, these golden handcuffs are pretty tight, but I'm getting used to them. So I'm just going to hang on to them a little longer. And then it's like, wait a second. The last two years, I told myself I was going to go to Italy, but why haven't I done it yet? Right? Yeah. When was that supposed to happen?
0: And then you just end up with a bucket list of things you haven't done.
1: <laughs> exactly, right? That just gets, that never gets smaller, right? Unless people work at it.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, because I, I kind of want to take you back. Yeah, go for it. You mentioned your mom.
1: Mm-hmm. she was risk averse. Mm-hmm.
0: How did she feel when you decided, you know what, med school, not for me. That's a lot of work. I want to switch gears. Did she like lose her cookies?
1: Uh, not over that because <laughs> because she, she, at least I was pivoting to something that still had a level of stability, right? Like pharmacy at the time was a, a high uh, demand job market. There were lots of drugstores that needed people with a license and a pulse to, to step in and, and count by fives. Um, and I say that half jokingly, but I was one of them. I've, I liked it, right? It was just, you can get six figures for, you know, managing a workflow and cutting up with people. Hey, that's a, that's a pretty good deal until people, again, pharmacy, same way, like pharmacy. I think one of the biggest struggles out the quick tangent is that they were not more proactive in defending their territory or even trying to establish new territory for their clinical services, other things, right? Cause now insurance come in and they cut in and they say, Hey, you know what? We don't want to pay you this much money anymore. We're hammering too much money on this drug. We're just going to stop covering it. Um, and so now, right? They should have been more proactive, but now they're continually reactive. Well, what can we still get? What can we settle for? What can we still salvage? And um, yeah, it's just really sad to see so many students that you know go into this profession to do something noble, and you know, but they are also expecting a certain quality of life to come with it, and that is no longer guaranteed.
0: And so when you switched, when you switched to pharmacology. Your, your mom was like, okay, that's cool. But then she saw the industry doing what it was doing. She saw you leave different jobs and whatnot. Did she freak out at that point?
1: Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I because... see
0: myself, you know, yeah. as a mom, how yeah. would I be freaking out if my kid was going through that? And what would I be thinking?
1: Yeah, no, it's a perfectly good standpoint, uh, to come from, because I think, you know, and I've talked with, you know, now that I know so many female friends that happen to be moms and what they want for their kids, right? My mom, and I actually had this discussion on the podcast, for some reason, the host wanted to ask about my relationship with my mom. And I tell them, you know what, there is no question how much my mom cared and the, the challenge then becomes, well, how does her love express itself and is it truly helpful because My mom has, for better or worse, she likes to be a rescuer. She likes to feel like she's being helpful. And so if I'm struggling with learning Chinese or if I'm struggling to like cut something like a vegetable in preparation to cook, she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Let me help you with that. Right. But what happens when you keep helping someone, Mm -hmm. right? They, in a way, become helpless, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This is going to be bonus material for somebody. But when people find out I did not know how to do my own laundry until I actually went away for college, Like, they just kind of stare at me. They're like, what, really? And I was like, yep, can't make that up. (laughs) And so, yeah, all that to say, right. uh, You know, I I walked away from all these benefits where she thought, you know, she had a, you know, she had a, her life track plan for me was kind of derailed. And then I'm going through these companies and, you know, none of these companies have good 401ks. Uh Uh-oh, you know, (laughs) no, none of these companies are lasting long. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, now what? And you know, to her for better or worse, like she still keeps trying to shield me from things. And she's like, I don't know if you know how much I'm protecting you from. And I and now all I can say is, well, you know, until I until I experienced that, you know, fire from myself and realized just how dangerous the world it can be out there. Like I can't expect to get stronger. Like I did not become a cook, like until like she stopped cooking for me. And I didn't want to admit that because she's a great cook and I like being at home. And she wanted me to cook. She wanted me to learn how to cook. And I was just like, eh. I'll just watch more TV (laughs) and she'd be like, oh, well, Jerry, Jerry, well, let me just, you know, he's just, he's had a rough day at work. Let me just cook some more. And, um, you know, but I never learned right until I had to move out of the house. And even when some friends were kind of to teach me, they still kind of had to push me out of the nest and be like, okay, no, Jerry, like, we can't keep doing this for you. Um, you know, and then you learn and you're like, okay, this is terrible, but I got to get better at it. Okay. Now I can actually hold my own. Right. So that's Awesome. But, you
0: know, that's really what a parent's job is, in my opinion, is to Mm -hmm. help you take care of yourself so that you can eventually take care of others. Like, you know, and hopefully little by little to teach you stuff along the way. Right.
1: Of course. You know, yeah. And to do it in a way where, you know, you see this balance because on one hand with Asian culture, right? Like I would love if I, God willing, someday get married and have kids. Like I want my parents to be in their lives like I think that's just wise and helpful because I need free babysitting right like there's there's a, if only there's, for
0: that reason it is,
1: yeah it's a mutualistic relationship it is not a one-sided thing it is clearly you know they want to be grandparents okay you're going to spend time with grandkids like that comes with the territory Big fan. Um, <laughs> yeah right and um yeah. So you see this balance of, Hey, we want family involved. And yet at the same time, right, this has come up recently in some discussions I've had with friends. What are the healthy boundaries around like your relationships with your parents and your kids? And, you know, to understand, Hey, I don't have to cut you off at 18 and be like, okay, good luck. Right. I mean, I would probably still be the kind of guy to be like, okay, let me help you a little bit with your tuition money. Cause you know, that's just, I feel like you should have a little help with that, but not to the point where they, don't know how to stand on their two feet, right? At some point, yeah, they should be able to live on their own, pay their own bills. Uh, You know, yeah, can we talk as friends? Sure, do you want my advice? Only if you ask for it, right? I'm not gonna step into your life now that you're uh, an adult. At the same time, yeah, I'm always gonna be your dad, right? I'm always gonna have something to say, but ideally I'd be able to, you know, kind of work myself out of a job, right? So it'd be like, hey, look.
0: Hopefully, if you do it
1: right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, there's a good way and a bad way. (laughs) I've done both. (laughs)
0: No, that's, that's interesting. So I'm wondering, is there truly a cultural difference in how the parent-child relationship uh, evolves over time? Asian culture version versus white culture, maybe, if there is such a thing. Um, African-American culture, Is what differences have you seen among your friends, for example?
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> I think, uh, I'm smiling because this is such a great question and it's such a nuanced answer because honestly uh it's less about like uh ethnic culture as opposed to just this overall theme of this desire for control Mm -hmm. because i've seen parents in asian cultures who understand hey um yeah my kids are my kids and and at some point i need them to grow up and, and do their own thing on the other hand I also see plenty of parents that are like, no, I'm your mother. And doesn't matter how old I am. I'm still your mother. And, but I've seen this in other cultures too, because people tell me, you think that you think Asians are the only ones that deal with shame and like, you know, like controlling stuff. And I was like, no, I just know that it's, it's magnified because that's all I've known my whole life. And yeah, because I'll give an example. So, you know, my, my residential assistant during college uh, here at, in Houston um, she and her husband seem to be two of the most well-adjusted like white people i've ever known like they were just very chill very calm uh you know they met their freshman year uh got married and it's just like yeah and i told them i said mike and jen you make it look so easy like i can't believe this and but to see that in their parenting as well and they're like oh you know you see the tension where they're just like well you know adam's really messy in this room and i'm just like well you know can you clean it up just a little but they both understand Hey, our kids are our kids. Like we can't, we're not going to tell them to be accountants or doctors or engineers. Like that's not for us to decide. Um, you know, we're happy to kind of encourage them and help them kind of discover what a uh, worthy vocation is. But that's, you know, we're not here to tell them, hey, you have to get married by this age. Hey, you have to do this by this time. And they, and they just had you know, you have to be intentional, but you also have to know when to be hands-off, I think, with, right. with certain areas of their lives. So um, I have, I'll admit, I've seen, like, I feel like a higher percentage of Asian parents, like, deal with this controlling issue, <laughs> and just, because we're, especially now with, like, this Asian-American, like, you know, kids who are, you know, the parents are immigrants, and everyone is saying, oh my goodness, like, I have to take care of my family and my parents on top of, you know, raising my kids and the money that, you know, has to go you know, be shared among all three. Now, I thought it was just going to be my wife and kids. So like, you know, leaving cleave, but no, turns out my parents are still in the picture.
0: You know, that's interesting because there's discussion in the black community about that as well, particularly hmm. um, among black people were considered to be more successful, hmm. right. That their, their money doesn't just go to them and their, their, nuclear family. Mm-hmm. It often goes to support other members of their families. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a mom, a grandmom, you know, a cousin or what have you who's not in the same kind of position. Yeah. And I wonder if we see that particularly um with people who are newer to this country, because you know, Hispanics, they're always sending money back home. Mm-hmm you know, to help support family back there, to also do things, you know, people from the continent, from Africa Mm -hmm. in different countries will do the same thing, send money home to buy land. Is that something we see particularly, you think, with people from other countries or is it just throughout our society here in the U.S.?
1: That's That's a good question to ask simply because, you know, you look at the family unit, right, and to say, hey, what is the importance of family? And, you know, my mom uh, always tells me, oh, Jerry has to get married and have kids because who's going to take care of him in his old age? Like she firmly believes that. And even though I have a community outside my family that I trust, that I know is loyal to me and that we're going to be there for each other. She's like, well, when push comes to shove, it's gonna, it has to be family. On one hand, that's true. On the other hand, it hasn't been. Um, there's a lot of family I haven't talked with in a while, right? Right. Uh you a quick tangent on what you said where you're just like, hey, you know, all this success is not just for me. Like I have to bless all these people now as a result of this. Uh, there's a phrase that Dave Hitz, who's the founder of NetApp, mentions in his book. He says, uh, success brings liability, right? Is that like, you know, it's just like, hey, you're successful, great. Hey, now, you know, all these old uncles or you know, distant relatives coming out of the woodwork. Hey, you wanna you want to help my startup restaurant? You want to do all these other things? And you're like, I didn't know. Uh, I had all these people, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. It's like, well, yeah, because, you know, because now I made my first million and now you want a chunk of it, right? Um, but yeah, I think the question comes back down to, yeah, I mean, how is your family doing, right? Because if it is strong and tightly knit and they've demonstrated over time uh, that they have been there for you and not just because of blood relations, because that goes two ways, right? If it's, it's one hand to say, hey, blood's thicker than water, we're going to be there for it. It's another one people use that. To justify entitlement, right? Hey, you know, I'm your mom. I'm supposed to, you're supposed to take care of me, right? Hey, I'm your uncle. You're supposed to take care of me. My mom probably has more leverage than my uncle, but, but, you know, uh, same thing, right? It's just like, hey, there's strings attached. And you learn just how long, how long a se- how selfish a long game some of these parents are playing. You're just like, no, I didn't, I didn't have kids because I, you know, I love, I want, I love the idea of being a mom. It's like, no, I need to labor on the farm, <laughs> You know, <what> I mean? <laughs> right? <clears throat> well,
0: I mean, that, but there, there was a point. In, you know, and I would argue maybe in rural areas to some extent that might mm-hmm. still be the case who knows, there, yeah. the United States was built up that way, in a Fair lot much. of ways that was part of <laughs> our culture when it particularly when it's more rural. So sure. is that something you think is all over the world we, we'd see the same things. A good I'm question. just curious what your thoughts are.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, you make me feel like the cleverest person, <laughs> you know. Um, I think, again, just comes back down to now that a lot of our basic needs are being met, right? Because before we had these farms and we had all this setup where, it, where people were just focused on just trying to survive, right? They were just like, hey, you know, the plague is killing all these people. And now we have vaccines. So now we don't have to think about that as much, right? Where we say, hey, diseases are not as big a factor in our survival. Uh, now we, we have places where have adequate food, places that are plenty still starving. That's a whole other conversation, right? But Now that we have all this technology, all these resources at our disposal, people are starting to, think, struggle with what do I do now that I have more free time, right? What do I do with my time uh, and where do we find meaning? And so you have a very dangerous opportunity because now companies are starting to hit you with marketing through all these needs that you didn't think you needed, but they sold it to you so well that all of a sudden now I have to have the nice furniture. I have to have the big house. And it's like, Really? Like, yeah. I don't know if you need these things, but uh, I think, yeah, I think a big challenge is just the fact that, yeah, we're able to move up Maslow's, you know, hierarchy and realize, hey, you know what, they we're able to think about bigger things. And a lot of people don't like that, right? They say, you know, I'm bored and, oh, let me just dope myself up with drugs and, you know, go do something crazy because what, you have free time because you didn't have to plow the fields just to pay your bills and like, you know, put food on the table, you know, maybe... For some people, they need that, right? Go back to a, a life that makes, where they recognize the struggle early on and that they're a little more grateful for what they have now.
0: Or just being busy from sunup to sundown.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: There's a lot to be said about being busy, what it keeps you from doing, huh?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. What are you being, what's that distracting you from? Like if you're busy with, even if you're busy with the right things, like what do you, well, It's if someone tells me they're busy, it, I mean, the clue is that they're probably avoiding something.
0: I don't know, man. Sometimes I'm looking at, I'm looking at my list of things to do and going, how did
1: that happen? Yeah. That's (laughs) another good question. Just like, how did I get to this point? Like I made my decisions and now I feel like they're making me. I have no idea. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm interested in how all this comes together with conflict resolution because there's some aspects. So, you know, I was on your website And (laughs) it seems like part of what you help people with is getting themselves into a place where they're more confident, where they're more centered and able to express what it is that they need to have difficult conversations. And presumably that could be with family, that could be with coworkers, that could be with a boss could be in a relation, you know, a love relationship. Oh yeah. So how does all this tie together in terms of conflict resolution and what you do?
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, conflict for the longest time, kind of similar to what I said about leadership. I just said, Oh, conflict is, is difficult. It's no fun. I can't seem to be good at it and fine. Let me just give in every single time and just, just hopefully I get over this resentment that I feel about myself and you know on one hand yeah blessed are the meek on the other hand you know, you know jesus like you know took a whip of cords and drove people out so you know what do you what do you do with that right but he said meek people are blessed it's just like yeah there's a time and place for that right <laughs> <laughs> and that's another he said
0: turn the other cheek but he was also quite
1: a revolutionary absolutely yeah um, regardless of whether or not you're a christian jesus is a fascinating figure but uh <laughs> they can we can table that for now but yeah i think The main thing is recognizing that conflict is a blessing. Like, are you willing to see that conflict is a blessing because it's everywhere. And even if you resolve one, what's waiting behind the next corner, another conflict and probably a bigger one than you're used to dealing with. And when I realized that my personal development was not going to end now that I've set myself on this, you know, treadmill, it's like uh, David Allen says in his book, getting things done. And I've quoted this several times. It's like the better you get the better you'd better get. And uh, (laughs) that's what basically happens here. Conflict is everywhere, right? Whether it's in your relationships or I don't even know what I want, or even between the current you and then the future you, right? The, the, the conflict between what your company's doing now to survive versus what the company needs to do next, right? There is conflict there. There's conflict with cultural expectations, family expectations, and either it drives you to an extreme like suicide because you just say, I'm tired of dealing with this pain. And I don't, I just rather just distance myself from all of it where you just avoid it completely, but you don't, just because you avoid it, doesn't mean it's any better for you. Right. So how, at one point do you stop avoiding the gunfire and run running toward the gunfire instead? Right. And so, yeah. What is it that I try to do for people? Well, help them, ask them, what is the story around conflict? What is it, what are you telling yourself about this conflict? Right. Let's, let's figure out why you, why conflict bothers you so much. Right. What are you telling yourself about it? And how can, how do you think you want to handle it better? Like if you were successful at conflict, how can we open that possibility that you might actually be good at this? And what kind of plan do you need to put in place? What kind of practice do you need in order to be able to trust that closure is always going to be better than the comfort that you're settling for? Uh, because I can tell you, you know, when I had to evict a roommate for defaulting on his lease, um, he basically dared me to, to call the police like he wasn't going to just move out. Like I tried, like, and can, mm-hmm. I, I knew the day where he officially, you know, I was waiting for him to you know, show up with the check and he never did. i was just like, oh, like that was heavy. And basically to say, well, you know what, let me beg for some extensions and maybe I can stall a little bit but he wasn't going to say, you know what? I violated the lease. I'm just going to be an adult and move out. He didn't do that. And so it was up to me to say, Hey, you know what? As long as I'm tolerating this, he's going to take every inch that I give him. So, okay, let me do something about it. So yeah. What do I do for people? Give them confidence uh, to realize, Hey, conflict doesn't have to bother me. Uh, Give them clarity and the steps that they need to take to say, Hey, I don't use force. I'm going to use finesse and make sure that I, understand that this is a relationship that for someone I respect, even if I disagree, let's have an open dialogue. And then, yeah, let's give them closure. Oh, I'm so glad we got past that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's important. That's important. Well, I don't even know what to say here. This has been a stunning conversation, but we are coming close to the end of our time together. Jerry, how can people get in touch with you? And what do you want to share with our audience that maybe they should know in these last couple of minutes?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, The easiest way to get in touch with me is to go to the website, which is www.adaptingleaders.com. You can schedule a free 30 minute call, no strings attached. Hey, just tell me what you're working on. Um, If I can offer any help. Great. If you want a formal coaching package, or if your organization feels like, hey, we've got some unresolved conflict, we'd like you to come in and help us navigate this, happy to do that for you. If you're on a tighter budget, hey, take the free call. I have a free blog. You know, I will be happy to give you a list of books that helped me and my own personal development with this and just start. Just buy them on Amazon or a discount you know, bookstore and, and have at it and bootstrap it. So I tell people, you know, I'm not here to bankrupt anybody, you know, I'm not here, but I am here to provide a value that hopefully is, is several times over what you're paying me. Um, if I had to share one story, I think just to illustrate where we are with, with everything and just to kind of give some people a, uh, you know, a concrete example to kind of learn from and build on, um, I'll share this. So I had, a. There was a networking event of all the internationals that I went to recently here in Houston. And there happened to be an older white gentleman uh, that was in the middle of things. And you know, we started talking. And you know, this is at the height of the media coverage around some of the Asian hate crimes that were going on. And he wanted to ask me. He goes, Hey, you know, you're you're Asian, right? Yeah. I said, Yeah, my you know, my family's from Taiwan. <laughs> and he's uh, like, So tell me, you know, have you experienced anything? Like, like what they're saying there. Have you experienced any discrimination firsthand? Is it really as bad as they're saying? I said, okay, well, let's hold on a second. Um, did you know that Houston's Chinatown is built on discrimination? He's like, what do you mean by that? I said, well, they didn't want the Asians in certain parts of the city, so they made them settle in a in the southwest side of the city. He's like, oh, it's like I said. You know what's even worse? they gerrymandered that district and divided it up in a way that they would have no voting power. Like they divided it so they wouldn't have that. Goes, oh, oh, that's, that doesn't sound good. It's like, yeah. Um, so just because there's no physical pain or, you know, direct violence experienced on my part, and I'm thankful for that, um, does not condone a system that actively is discriminating against us for fear of of control right coming back to again like we have this struggle with control and they say, well you know we have the laws we write the laws okay let's keep let's do things to make sure that we stay in power because you know we can't trust them and we but we like what we can do for ourselves and so um i say this conversation to actually show him grace because i can't assume that he was just being obnoxious or ignorant uh it was just simply an opportunity Uh, to explain my side and to get him to maybe think a little differently about what he's seeing what you know what he's reacting to what he's being exposed to on the media and I think um, if everyone took that stance of humility to say hey you know what let me give him the benefit of the doubt like that I'm I feel a little upset by that but hey let me let's dig in a little deeper and just make sure that I'm not gonna pounce like a lion when I should be kind of doing more Detective work around this, this comment. Um, one book plug I'll give uh, Humble Inquiry by Edgar Schein uh, is a very quick read and has some great strategies and best practices to really build strong relationships among people, even as we become more aware of our internal prejudices.
0: That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Guys, make sure you go to Jerry's website and connect with him. Jerry Fu, thank you for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard.
1: Thank you for having me. Have a great day, guys.
0: So that's our show this month, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. We will see you after the new year on January 20th in 2023, when my guest will be executive coach and leadership consultant, Michael Sieber. You can find us once a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central and 8 p.m. Eastern at the, Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful and remain prayerful. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday and a safe and happy new year. Peace and blessings, y'all.